Hello and welcome. You've tuned in to the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. James chapter 2, let me begin by reading, begin verse 1 through verse 4. James chapter 2, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you sit there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Well, we're going to examine this and it may take two weeks. The scriptures just kind of jumped off of the pages to me. And so I hope that they will to you as well. I had to do a lot of self-examination. And I pray that God's word will help you, will bless you, will encourage you. I'm going to look at several different passages, and I'm not rambling. I'll try not to ramble. But I want us to see Old Testament and New Testament. This teaching is found more than I thought more than I've understood. But it's certain truths that James is trying to teach us that's found throughout the entire Bible. As we look at this, I want us to first think, as I really get into this message, I want you to think about the attributes of God. All of these things, God is going to begin to show us His characteristics the elements of his nature. What makes up the person of God? What is it that we think of when we think of God? Do you think of his holiness? Or maybe you think of his righteousness? Or we think of his wisdom? My little four-year-old grandson was telling me that God can do anything. God is all-powerful. And I said, God is omnipotent. I want you to go back and tell, your, <laughs> tell, tell those people in church, God is omnipotent, and they'll think you're a theologian. And he looked at me and said, Grandpa, what's a theologian? (laughs) Well, sometimes we just need to understand that God is all-powerful. And even a four-year-old can understand and grasp that. That God is omnipotent, He is all-knowing, omniscient, He is omnipresent, He's everywhere present. And so we might also think that God is immutable, These big theological terms just simply mean that God doesn't change. God is present everywhere. He is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. So when you think of the characteristics of God, we think about Him sometimes in those ways. We might even say that God is sovereign. God is eternal. God, maybe you say God is love. God shows great grace and mercy. By the way, Wednesday night, we'll look at the book of Jonah, and we see that God's great mercy and compassion and grace. So we see his faithfulness. We see God's goodness. And you could probably just add some more to my short list. But there's another attribute that we do not often talk about, that we don't often think about it, but it is spoken in Scripture in so many places. 
I've just given you a few on the sermon notes, but there's so many that I had to leave off because it's just not enough time. That God is so unlike us that He deals completely impartially with all people. God is impartial. We can be very partial. Sometimes we don't even realize it. Sometimes we don't even, but we tend to put everybody in kind of a category, don't we? We stratify them. We think of this one in this category. Maybe they're higher or lower than other people. And it has to do sometimes with their looks. It has to do sometimes with their race. It has to do with their wardrobe. It has to do sometimes with the car that they drive, the kind of house that they live in. Sometimes it has to do with their social status or their outward characteristics, their personalities, all of those things. And we begin to categorize people and we place them in certain positions. All of those things are non-issues with God. All of those things are of no significance to him whatsoever. They mean absolutely nothing to him. A person's education, a person's economic status, a person's looks, a person's wardrobe, their social relationships, their job, maybe their fame or their lack of fame, their prestige, their earthly honors, all of those collectively and individually mean absolutely nothing to God. These are non-issues. In 2 Chronicles 19 and 7, it says, There is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons. In Deuteronomy 10, 17, it says, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords, a great God and a mighty and an awesome God. This is a great statement. He goes on and he says, Who regards not persons. So a Moses wanted to say something about the God of gods and the Lord of lords. And what does he say? That he's so mighty, he's so amazing that he has no respect for persons whatsoever. That's an amazing thing. That sets him far above any of us in mankind. Malachi 2, 9, the scripture says, I also made you contemptible and base before all the people because you have not kept my ways, but have been partial. God says that I judged you of your partiality. You had respect to persons and God was judging the Israelites because they respected some and had no respect for others. And sometimes because of our theology, we really don't like to get onto this subject about God having no respect for persons. And I say that having been trained up, and I love the old book that our uh, brother L.D. Foreman wrote, Bible by Ages. However, that taught a wrong theology. It taught that there was a whole group of people that were subservient to others. That's not biblical. Maybe there are many other good things in that book, but that has permeated our work that we think, well, some people can be subservient to others, and we do not recognize God being impartial. He loves all people, all mankind. All of us have sinned. There's none righteous. We're all in the same boat. 
Calvin taught. There are those that God elected to heaven, some elected to hell. So therefore, God is, God is partial or he doesn't like this one, but he loves this one. You see, that is not biblical. And we're going to see, and maybe that's why I'm just going to give you more and more verses, and I put so many in the Scripture notes so that you can see Old Testament and New Testament, they all agree God is no respecter of persons in the New Testament. We see that Acts chapter 10, presenting the gospel to the Gentiles, Peter acknowledged that God is impartial with reverence to His saving grace. In Acts 10, 35, it says, But in every nation he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted in him, because God is no respecter of persons. In other words, because God has no partiality, there is no nation, there are no people, there's only those that fear him, that work in their righteousness because of their salvation, because of that, now they're showing forth, because nobody is accepted of God by their works, by their social status, by their education, by their ability, by their looks, by their wardrobe, by your financial bank account. All of that is non-consequential. It is of insignificance to God. The Apostle Paul also talks about that, that God is impartial and has no particular reference to some being chosen to salvation and others being lost. But he's telling us that God would have all men to be saved, just as Peter did in Acts chapter 10. Paul says in Romans 2 that tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Greek for there is no respect of persons with God. So we see it over and over and over. In the matter of judgment, there's no respect of persons. A man will be judged purely on the condition of his soul. Has he been born again? In regard to salvation, there's no respect of persons. A man is purely accepted by the new birth, the condition of his life as soul. So Paul acknowledged that God was impartial, and especially with reverence to social status and matter of employment, we'd see that Paul talks a lot about that. He spoke to those that were slave owners or slaves. We might think of it today as employers and employees. And he says that in that the master is also in heaven and neither is there respect of persons in him. He doesn't have a greater affection a greater love or a blessing for a manager or a president or a vice president, any executive or a boss. He has no more regard for them than the humblest of slaves, the lowest of all. This is repeated in Colossians 3:25, Colossians 4:1. And in the matter of salvation, God is no respecter of persons. And in the matter of judgment, he is no respecter of persons. And in the matter of social status and employment, he is no respecter of persons. So God isn't partial when it comes to disciplining sin. I think that's an important thing. God is not partial when it comes to his chastisement. You know, there was a time in my life when I really messed up and I got to thinking I was doing all of these things for the Lord. He's not going to chasten me. 
He's not going to discipline me. Oh, was I ever wrong? God is not partial just because you're the preacher, just because this or you're doing that. God hates sin. It's universal. And I deceived myself. I tricked myself. I allowed myself to think, oh, God doesn't care. But you see, God does care. And he loves you. And he hates sin. And he hates what sin is going to bring about. So he looks only at the sin and only at the soul. And he holds back nothing because you're wealthy or you're successful or you're not wealthy. And he adds nothing because you're poor or unsuccessful by the worldly standards. So that is a non-issue to him. Whether you're talking about salvation, job, job status, judgment, sin, discipline, the standard is always the same. God deals purely with your soul. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that in the matter of disciplining a, an elder in the church, it says, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. And I was just marked by the fact that in Matthew 18, what does he say? With two or three witnesses. Everyone is in the same boat. It just because you're an elder in the church, just because you hold a position, it doesn't give you a privilege to sin. And the one that sin rebuke before all, Peter, uh, Paul tells in Timothy, that all others may fear. I charge you before God and by the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without preferring one another, doing nothing by partiality. Over and over, New Testament, Old Testament, and now in our text here in James. How does he start? My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. What does that mean? James is focusing on the impartiality with God and the reference to a person's social and economic status. Peter and Paul focused on salvation primarily, primarily on the spiritual issues, with the exception that Paul's reference also to the employee situation in, in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3. But James takes a good look at this matter of partiality for economic, for social reasons. He's looking at these, and he's dealing with us like James does in a very practical way. James brings it down because sometimes we don't like to admit it, but in the Lord's churches, we tend to be, even on the outside, because of our fallenness, because of our humanness, because of our sin, we become partial to certain people. We may be impressed with their bank accounts. We're impressed with the car that they drive. We can be impressed with their wardrobe or their jewelry. We can be very impressed by the job they hold or the profession they're in. We can be impressed with their reputation. You know, it's funny because in prison, Brother Charles Watson had a reputation of being a very godly man, but people wanted to know him because of his reputation with the Manson family, being Tex Watson. It's just kind of a, a flipped way that 
They would look at things. They all wanted to know somebody who had been in the Manson family, get close to someone. Well, of course, he used that to the glory of God to lead men to Christ. But you see, sometimes we're looking for someone's reputation. We're looking for something else, and we're looking at it all wrong. We can be very impressed if they have a lot of degrees at the end of their name. I remember I, I shouldn't call the preacher's name, but he had on their church sign, associate of science, bachelor degree, master's degree, doctor degree. Well, you didn't need to put all that on there. Why, why is it that we want to impress people by our degrees? Well, we think that God somehow is impressed with all of those things, and he's not. He is not impressed with what you do. He's impressed with who you are. He's looking at the soul. We can be impressed with all kinds of things, and it's utterly of no consequence to God. Whatever we see, God is evaluating the worth of the soul. Everything else is inconsequential. They're non-issues with God. God judges and God evaluates and God estimates your worth and my worth and the worth of everyone purely on the basis of their inner person purely on the basis of their inner life. So to put it simply in Old Testament terminology, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. See, it's God's not interested in your bank account, your wardrobe, your jewelry, any kind of commendation for your character. But on the other hand, God is not disinterested in you because you're poor or because you don't look so good, or because you don't have the nice clothes, or because you have a common job, or you don't have all the degrees, and you don't have any reputation or social standing. God is not disinterested. He's not disinterested in you because of what you lack. He's interested in you because of what you possess if you are belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. And frankly, we who belong to the Lord, and we say that we're the children of God, we need to develop the characteristics of our God. We need to be looking at something different than this world looks at. And that's what James is telling us here. And if we think about it in the Old Testament so many times, Leviticus 19, that we understand this attribute of God and understanding it, we see in our own lives. Because in Leviticus 19:15. There have been many laws that were laid out, regulations for behavior. Verse 15, he says, you shall do no unrighteousness as it is in judgment. In other words, be just, be fair. You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. You shall not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. So he is saying... When you're dealing with truth and justice, you cannot take any thought for whether or not a person is poor or wealthy. That's a non-issue with God. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 1, again, he says, You shall not respect persons in judgment, but you shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of the faith of a man, for the judgment is God. And if the cause is too hard for you, bring it to me, and I will hear it. Now that's what Moses was passing on to the people, that there were certain judges so that he didn't have to hear it all. And the responsibility to judge a just judgment 
without regard to a person's externals. Goes on in Deuteronomy 15 and 7. It kind of carries on this thought. It says, if there be any among you a poor man, one of your brethren with any of the, of the gates in the land of which the Lord thy God giveth you, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from the poor brother, but thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend to him sufficient for his need in that which he lacketh. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him nothing. So what's he saying there? He's saying, in other words, that all the debts were going to be canceled on the seventh year, and now you're in the sixth year, but you see, this man has a need. He said, won't have to pay me back, because it's almost the time of the year of release. And so... I don't want to give it to him because he's not going to have to pay me back. So he's getting to think about all that. And that's why he says that would be a sin to you. In verse 10, he says, and you will give it to him. Your heart shall not be grieved when you give it to him because for this thing, the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works in all that thou puttest thy hand to do for the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to the poor and to the needy in thy land. So the only issue here at stake was someone was in need. Without regard to their social status, they found just one need. And we're called to meet that need. We're called again. And the emphasis over and over was not respecting persons. That means not being partial, not respecting one person over another for some other reason, external reason. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions or perhaps you have questions on a different topic, let us know. Our information is given on the website or can reach us at sclministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. The tombstone said he is risen just as he said.